Welcome to Surprise It's Not a Toaster, where healthcare digital experts Ed Bennett and I, Chris Boyer, delve into the fabric of online experiences, tackling annoyances, unraveling innovative solutions and cutting edge tools. And we also challenge generative AI's limits. Good morning, Ed. How are you doing today? I'm fine, Chris. How's it going? Pretty good. Not too bad. Now that my heater's working, right? Uh, here in good. Minnesota, in the winter, you don't yeah, want your heater to go heat. out. You've got to hear your heater. But that's not our annoyance today. That's not what we're going to talk about, Ed. We have a great show lined up today. We want to thank everybody who's been listening in and giving us some ideas and suggestions. We're even going to use one listener idea today in one of our segments. So we're excited about that. But if you're listening in and you want to share your ideas with us, Ed and I are always anxious to hear what annoys you, what is a good tip or technology that you'd use, and also what questions we can stump generative AI with. I'm starting to run out of annoyances, but uh, <laughs> I'm an old guy on the lawn yelling at a cloud, so I'll, something will come up. Well, but Ed, you do have a good annoyance today, and so what's on your mind? Okay. Well, the thing I want to talk about today, yeah, it's an annoyance, but it's it's one of those sort of inevitable changes that are happening on the web, and we just got to figure out a way of, of making it work, and that is the battle between videos and images that are either in portrait mode or landscape mode. And what happens when you try to force one into another? And I don't have an answer to this question. You know, obviously I have my, my preference. Right. I would love everything to be landscape, but that's not that's not going to happen. I spend most of my time in front of a real computer with a keyboard and a mouse or on my iPad Pro. So I have real estate surfing the web or just, you know, browsing social media and I'm looking, consuming videos or images or whatever. I have some real estate that I would like to see the whole thing. And so what's happened, of course, is that the uh, I would say the majority of content that I consume on these platforms, like, well, what used to be Twitter, I don't go there very much anymore, but on yeah. Reddit and other places is in portrait mode because everybody's yes. shooting video with their cameras. And it's kind of frustrating because I've got this slim column of content and then big black bars on either side of the content. And it's especially frustrating when I see someone has taken a landscape video and then captured just the portrait segment in the middle. So oh, you, get, you see wow. people's noses on either side of, of the screen because it was originally shot in portrait, but now they're just automatically cropped down to the middle of it. And you know, it's it's just useless. Uh, <laughs> The only time I really I think portrait mode really works is if you're watching a uh, spacecraft launch and you're mm. you know, it's, it's straight up and down. You can see the whole <laughs> thing. It looks good. But outside of that, I think portrait mode is to me, it's just a waste of space. And I, I, I get really frustrated when so much of that content is in that format. It's actually kind of a relief when there's something that I can watch on these channels that is taking up the whole whole screen. This also goes into another thing where. I'm seeing apps like TikTok, especially, and Instagram, they are really closing down their walled garden, you know, where you have mm-hmm. to be on TikTok. When I see an embedded TikTok on, on another channel, it will play sometimes once the embed. But if I want to play it again, I have to log into TikTok. Ah, uh, yes. I can't just replay the video. Mm-hmm. And I don't have a TikTok account, and I don't really want one. So I... I just move on to the next thing, and then I don't I don't bother with that. But I'm also seeing this with Instagram, mm-hmm. and I think Twitter is starting to do it. I yep. refuse to call it X. And what this means is that we're making 
a lot of friction and using the web. It's actually has caused a backlash. I think it's called the simple web movement where people are going way back, way old school to the a text internet, mm. recreating the, the protocols and content where it's just text and mm. maybe an image embedded, but that's it. And without all the markup, et cetera, keeping an eye on that, because I think that would be a wonderful way to use the web in a very quick and easy way, which was the whole point of it from the beginning. Yeah, well, from the onset, right? right. Back, onset. back when it was telling that yeah. stuff. Right. That's my frustration. And I think that what's going to happen is that we're, we're going to get more and more islands of how people are consuming things. Mm-hmm. I'm sure there are folks out there that they live on TikTok. And that's the, to me, to them, TikTok is the web, is the internet. Kind of sad, but that's the way it's going. Well, you kind of have a Russian nesting doll of different annoyances. Let's go back to the first one about horizontal versus vertical right. videos, right? Uh, our old friend, Jason Pratt, if you remember right. him right. from the Mayo Clinic days, that was his big thing. I remember what, how many years ago was that, Ed? Like 10, 15 years ago? Oh, at least. At least he was like, years. he's like, no vertical videos, always right. horizontal videos. Right. He was a, he's a video purist. I do agree that as we moved more to the screens of a phone, people started shooting and just like, portrait mode. Yeah. And that's that's what it is. What annoys me a little bit is when I see those videos sometimes played on news broadcasts or whatever, right. which is great that they're getting this video. Yeah. But instead of the black bars on the side, they put like a blurred out image from from the... Right. They're basically the, sort of like expanding the image and yeah. it out. It doesn't bother yeah. me that much, but I understand it's yeah, they it, sort it, of it, highlighting the problem when they do that. Exactly. Highlighting problem. And then the whole point of like watching videos that used to be landscape in portrait mode through like TikTok, which I see a lot too. You're right. I see these people on the outskirts. Can they not invent like with AI, the ability for the video capture to kind of go towards where the person is actually talking, right? That seems like a very good project for an AI tool to monitor the video, identify what are the important parts of the video, like it's the two people talking. And in doing those, automatically doing those cuts, et cetera, and making it really useful. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And then the last thing you said about the walled garden of videos, like you mm-hmm. watch it once and then you have to go to TikTok or Instagram or whatever. That actually came up in a presentation I did a couple of years ago about the problems with social media. And you helped contribute to that. One of the things I realized as I was looking at social media analytics is that those platforms prefer you to watch a video in their platform. And they will actually de-emphasize a video being viewed in other channels from an analytics perspective as well. I think that what's happening is, you're right, we're moving into a walled garden where everybody's going to be looking at video in portrait mode. That's because everybody's too lazy to drop their phones and, like, watch things on a regular landscape computer. Well, I I mean, obviously, the majority of content on TikTok doesn't really merit investing any energy to see it better. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, come on. So I kind of agree with you. I'm on TikTok yeah. and I actually enjoy some of the content that's oh, sure. unique, but the content that's cross-channeled or cross-promoted, yeah. right, is the is the hard part. I'm with you on that completely. Uh that's a that's a good kind of annoyance. Uh, a Russian nesting doll of annoyance. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. All right. Oh, and lastly, I think the movement is called the slow web movement. Slow web, right. The slow web movement for those people that are interested in researching that. Yeah, I just, uh, I don't have a lot to say about this. I just sort of covered it a few days ago and it looked interesting. So, but 
There's also some kind of fun stuff out there. And so Ed, this is where we get into the second part of our show. Yeah, something fun. And, and today, I'm really excited about what you're going to introduce as a new technology or a new thing. Well, this is a, uh, a game from, that's, uh, that's from the New York Times. And of course, most famously, the New York Times games has Wordle. Is it's yes. a big game. The guy invented it. It went big, and New York Times bought it, and now it's on the New York Times website. I know. I think Wordle is still going very strong. Lots of people are using it. Uh, but they introduced a new game called Connections, huh. which I uh, I personally enjoy much more than Wordle because Connections is a game where you're presented with a screen with 16 words on it. So it's a grid of a four by four grid. And your goal in the game is to find the words that have a connection. Mm. And then click on those words, say, submit this, and it'll tell you, yes, you found the connection, or you didn't, and you, you have four guesses to get them all right. So, for example, you can have a game, the, you can have a game board that has the words um, bunk, canopy, Murphy, and trundle. Those are types of beds. They're types of beds, and that's exactly it. So this, so those were just four words out of the sixteen, and they're all. Mixed oh, okay. Up. So right. they're not they're all, all they're the all, words. They're all they're all mixed up. So there were yeah. There was another twelve words, then you had to figure out the three different uh-huh. connections for the groups of four. It's a game where that really kind of exercises your brain to think about concepts and figure out what could be the concept that links these things, and it can be very easy, like the beds. Or it can be extremely difficult. In fact, they have a, a difficulty score where they say this is a 3.5 out of 5 in terms mm. of difficulties. So mm. there are easy ones, and then there are, there are puzzles that are very hard. I have also found that the amount of caffeine that I've drunk in the morning directly correlates to how quick I can solve the puzzle. <laughs> <laughs> there's no question about that. And the more you, know, more you play it, there's, there's one new game every day. So oh, you okay. To, you know, you check it every day, and and there's a mm-hmm. new game. So, like another example, Jonas, Marks, Warner, and Wright. Well, those are names, obviously. Right. Are they singers? You want me to tell you? Yeah. Famous brothers. Oh, Famous Jonas brothers, brothers. Brothers, Warner brothers, Wright brothers. Ah, uh, yes. So that's the thing. The only ones that I never am able to solve are anything that involves sports, because I'm just a oh, sports fan. Right. So, but right. If, yeah, but uh, in general. It touches on lots of different areas of, of uh, knowledge, and your job is to is to try to group them. Oh, I this love is this. A, this is actually sort of based on a uh, TV game from uh, England called Only Connect. Mm. And this is a game show where there's two teams, and they are presented with clues, and they have to figure out what the connection is. Yeah. In their game they're given one word at a time. And, and of course, they get more points if they could figure out what the concept is. Right. Most of the time, no one can. You need at least two words. It is the most difficult game I've ever watched. I'll watch an entire show, and they might have like 50 different puzzles during the entire show. If I can get one right, I'm like wow. really excited. It's huge, right? Of course, a lot of it is, is uh, British stuff that I have no idea what it is. But yeah. they get into deep literature and geography and political science and they get really really deep it's a lot of fun to watch these people but it's very frustrating to pick <laughs> so, <laughs> so the new york times version of this is is much more accessible to 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 people when you think about the two different ways that you can build the game right with one word at a time or mm-hmm. you give 16 words of which four or five of them maybe match i don't wonder which one's harder right from from a 
gaming well, perspective. I, I think it's much harder if you're just given one word. Yeah. And yeah. then then the two words and you that you have nothing else. Because a lot of times I can look at the 16 words and I can kind of mentally say, well, these two have absolutely no connection at all. I can ignore ignore mm. this and I just pull it mm. together. So that's, oh, that's wow. a cool game. And uh, yeah. it's a great way to start the morning to get your brain working i hope people like it give it a try i love it yeah if you're a wordle fan sounds like this is a nice crossover you are remiss to say that new york times is only known for wordle because of course there's a crossword puzzle that i do i do the crossword puzzle at least i try to which is also seriously challenging at times but nonetheless it's great i'm gonna have to try out that game sounds like a lot of fun yeah just go to google and type nyt connections and it'll be first hit up there awesome awesome Well, let's pivot to the last segment of the show, which is where we try to stump generative AI. And today, Ed, we are actually using a question of generative AI that a listener shared with us to try out. And apparently he used it to uh, explain it to his child. So he's Andrew Rainey from Reputation.com. You and I both know him. Oh, yeah. Andrew was explaining to me that his five-year-old came to him the other day and asked, Dad, what is God? And so, of course, naturally, Andrew tur- turned to both ChatGPT right. and Bard to get the answer. And how, I was like, okay. How, how, many, how many hours do you have, son? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And so uh, the, the prompt that we're using in today's question is, please explain the concept of God to a five-year-old. That's, a, that's, a, that's so, really good. Yeah. Two wildly different answers, too. So today, wow, you're going to okay. get to judge each answer. Okay. ChatGPT4, which is what I use, and Bard, which okay. is right now what I'm using until Gemini comes into play. So ChatGPT4 came back with this answer. God is like a kind and powerful friend you can't see, but many people believe is always there. Some think of God as someone who created everything in the world and looks after us, like a parent who loves and cares for their children. People talk to God when they are happy, sad, or need help. And they believe God listens and helps guide them to be good and kind to others. Okay. That's ChatGPT's answer. All right. Okay, with this exact same prompt, I asked Bard. Okay. And here is Bard's answer. Explaining God to a five-year-old requires sensitivity and consideration for their limited understanding of complex concepts. Here are some approaches you could try. Number one, the nature analogy. Quote, have you ever noticed how beautiful the sunshine and flowers are? Who do you think made them? Some people believe that there is someone special called God who created everything in the world, just like a big artist or a builder. Number two, the love and care analogy. Do you feel safe and loved when you're with your family? Some people believe there's a big gentle spirit called God who loves everyone and takes care of them, just like your parents do. Number three, stories and metaphors. You can read children's books and share simple stories about kindness, helping others, and doing good things, and then explain that some people believe these good things come from God, who wants us to be happy and kind. Then there's the openness and questions approach. It's perfectly okay to say you don't have all the answers. Encourage your child to ask questions and share their own thoughts and feelings about God. Let them know that even adults are still learning about this. And then they end with, Four points to consider. One, don't force your beliefs on your child. Let them explore and come to their own conclusions. 
Two, use age-appropriate language and avoid overly complicated theological concepts. Number three, focus on the positive aspects of faith, like love, hope, and good deeds. And four, be open to their questions and curiosity. Your honesty and openness will create a safe place for them to explore these big questions. So there you have it, Ed. Wow. Two different approaches to explaining God to a five-year-old. Let's take them hand by hand here. What do you think about ChatGPT's version? Well, I think ChatGPT gave you a nice, succinct response that's age-appropriate and would probably satisfy the curiosity of an eight-year-old child. I mean, a lot of this is context is everything. What is your personal beliefs as a parent? What is the context of the question? Did your child come to you because someone said you're bad and you're going to hell? God's going to send you me. That's you know, yeah. That is, that's the context. But I think in general, if it's just sort of like what you know, someone I've heard someone talk about this God. What does that mean? I think that's a pretty good approach. Pretty pr- yeah. good. Answer. So ChatGPT is a pass. I think it's a pass. Yeah. Okay. So what about Bard's lengthier answer? I mean, Bard is giving people some nice options, but I think that the um, analogies or is it metaphors that mm-hmm. it's using are so broad and nebulous mm-hmm. that it doesn't really communicate what the real concept of God is and what why people so many people care about it. I think that it had some good advice: don't force beliefs on your child, encourage them to question, etc. But I think that ChatGTP has has the, has the win here. Okay, so one last area where you could judge. What about the concept of using generative AI to answer that question? As in everything you do with generative AI, put the question out there and see what it says. But yeah. you, you have the responsibility of evaluating that response and do the sniff test on whether it's good or bad. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Um, and generative AI is really good at throwing out concepts that maybe you hadn't thought of. Ultimately, you're responsible for what you do with that information. That's so true. Those are good, good, strong words uh, to end this with. So very interesting suggestion from one of our listeners. We appreciate that. As as we said before, we always appreciate people giving us uh, some suggestions of things to uh, ask these generative AI overlords Mm -hmm. or, or, you know, annoyances or technology tips. Ed, another great episode in the bag, right? This is good. It's interesting. You know, I I think we're finding new things to talk about. You said you're kind of running out of annoyances. I I doubt that. But, (laughs) um, you know, I'm certainly able to help out with annoyances because I have a fair share of those as well. I'm just very excited. We had our first listener suggestion. Yeah, absolutely. It was a great one. So with that, I want to say thank you all for listening. We'll be back again in a few weeks. Ed, it's always a pleasure to record our show with you. So for Ed Bennett, and I'm Chris Boyer. And, you know, the next time you want to ask generative AI a question about something, surprise, it's not a toaster. <laughs> <laughs>